0: So here at River Life, we have a simple mission to bring hope and healing to 2nd and 3rd Gen Mall. And over the last four and a half years since we've launched, we've been doing pretty well at living out that mission. In fact, I could go around the, the room. I could pass a mic around this room right now and hear powerful stories of how God has brought you hope and God has brought you healing because of River Life. Um, And I love that, and I know that because you've told me your stories. You've shared them with me, and I've heard them, and I've been so encouraged. But you know, about a year ago, the ministry team, we started to notice something, that people were, were becoming a part of the River Life family, and they were experiencing hope, and experiencing healing, and then being pretty content to stay right there and just stay. And we noticed that that we were missing a major component of the Christian faith. That's spiritual growth. And so we started talking. We started brainstorming. We started praying. And over the last year, we've, we've started making some changes and some additions to River Life to return, to put our emphasis and increase the visibility of spiritual growth. So we, we changed my wife Peng Flo's title and her focus to spiritual growth director. We've added growth classes, which are sort of our, our version of Sunday school, and, and taught top topics that can help you grow holistically in your faith. And then, I'm really excited because starting in the fall, we're going to be introducing a great uh, Discipleship Spiritual Growth Curriculum and Program called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And you're going to hear a lot more of that later in the year. Well, there's one more thing that we decided to do. And we didn't take this very lightly because it's, it's a pretty big deal. We actually decided to update our mission statement. So I'm excited to tell you our, the new mission of River Life Church bring hope, healing, and growth for 2nd and 3rd Gen Mall. Because we, it is our desire that you grow in your faith. It is God's desire that you grow in your faith. And and we wanna do everything we can to help you do that. We don't want you to just sit and stay and be content. Every Sunday you come here, we want you to feel that tug Feel that push, that call, that great irresistible call of God onto your life to spiritual growth. So to help us do that, we're kicking off, we're just doing a little two-week mini-series here called Spring Growth. It's spring, we see all the little buds and all the little plants popping out of the ground, and that's always so encouraging. And so we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about spring growth. Now, so let me ask you. Are you, are you growing up or just growing old? Think, have, you ever, have you ever known someone who should be way more mature for their age than they really are? Do you, do you have one of those in your circle of friends? Every circle of friends has one of them. And if yours doesn't, guess what? It's you. <laughs> but have you ever been like, so like I feel like that, okay? I'm 48 right now. I still love wearing t-shirts and sweats. I, I figured by now I would be all into like the polyester slacks and button down Oxford shirts and cardigans by now. But I'm not. I would wear sweats and t-shirts to church if it didn't feel so weird. <laughs> because I just love them. You see, I've, I've grown grown older, but my clothes have not grown up. I still wear the same things I have always worn because I like them. So we can be like that spiritually as well. So let me ask you. I I want you to do a little math right now. So here's the question. How long have you been a Christian? Kind of go ahead and figure it out. Do the math. and, And if you're not sure, if that's a harder question for you to ask, maybe you can say, how long have you been attending church? Okay. So do the math right now. Pull out your phones if you're really bad at addition, subtraction. Okay. Do you have a number? So so mine's 32 years. I accepted Christ as a 16-year-old in high school. So what is it? So do you have a number? Okay. Good. Now, I want you to come up with another number. On a scale of 1 to 10, how spiritually mature are you? How Christ-like are you? I mean, and I know this one's hard. This one, it's hard to quantify that, but go ahead, just for the sake of the exercise, come up with a number, go for it. If you pick 11, you've watched way too much, this is Spinal Tap, Props to anyone who got that reference. Now, do you have a number? Do you have two numbers in your head? You have it? Okay, now, how do those numbers compare? Are they proportional? Or are they disproportional? How is your spiritual maturity in relation to how long you have been a Christian? How long you have been following God? So how do these numbers compare? See, in other words, is the amount you have grown in Christ proportional? Is it balanced to how long you have been a Christian? Because they should be balanced. Because as we know, if you've been watching some movies lately, all things should be perfectly balanced, as all things should be. I'm seeing how many Avengers references I can get into one sermon. So, how do you get more balanced? If you're not balanced, if you're like way over, like I've been attending church my whole life, and if I'm honest with myself, I'm not all that spiritually mature. I'm not all that Christ-like. How do you get more balanced? How do you get more proportional? How do you start to live up to where God would like you to be and his desire and his plan for you? Well, so first, first is you have to realize two deep truths about growth. Two deep truths about growth. First, healthy things grow. That is a cardinal rule of the universe. It is true for every living thing on this planet. Healthy things grow. That's just the way it works. So if you are healthy spiritually, then you will grow spiritually. And conversely, if you're not growing spiritually, it's pretty likely there's a part of you that is not healthy spiritually because healthy things grow. Second, spiritual growth is not optional for believers. Spiritual growth is not optional for believers. Way too many Christians are simply content with being Christian going to church most of the time, being good some of the time, and just happy to know that they aren't going to hell. It's really easy to just get content with that. But any fully devoted follower of Christ knows we can't just settle for that. We can't just let that be our definition of Christian. And I think it would be one of the greatest travesties if we collectively as a church, five years from now, were the same as we are right now. That would just be horrible. At that point, I should probably just be fired. Because <laughs> that is not God's call for us. It is to grow in our faith, grow in our intimacy with God, grow in our Christ-likeness. That is God's goal for us. So what does it look like? What does it actually look like to grow as a believer? Well, to answer that, we're going to turn to a little book toward the end of the New Testament called 2 Peter. It's the second of two letters that the Apostle Peter wrote so the churches up in the area called Asia Minor, which we would know as Turkey. And he wrote, he wrote these letters to those churches while he was in Rome. And he was also getting pretty old. He knew that his end was coming. And, and so he wrote these. And these are very likely, particularly 2 Peter, is very likely one of the last things that the Apostle Peter wrote. And so he included the most important stuff because that's what you do when you know your end is near. And he started off, the first of his most important stuff, he, he issued a challenge. He issued a challenge to believers that they continue growing in their faith, that they never stop growing. And that's what we're going to look at today. So today we're, we're going to look in chapter 1. And today, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. Next week, Paphua is going to teach, and she's going to look at verses 5 to 9. And so so you really want to come back for both of these weeks, because this week, we're going to talk about God's part in your spiritual growth. And then next week, we're going to talk about your part in your spiritual growth. So this is a two-parter. Make the plans already, clear your schedule, and make sure you come back for, for next week. Um, so, we're going to look at just 3 and 4 today, but I actually want to start at the very end of this section. I want to start with verses 10 and 11. Because Peter makes this really compelling case about why this should matter. Why spiritual growth should matter. And that's what, I, I want to start there. And then we'll go back up to the top. So, here's verses 10 and 11, kind of the ending thought in this section of chapter one. Here it is. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter challenges his audience to confirm your calling and election. Show me you're chosen by God. Prove your faith. Show evidence that you're a Christ follower. Years ago, when I was was new to church, I was a teenager. I heard this pastor give a sermon around the question of, if you were arrested for being Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And that's kind of what Peter is saying here. Prove it. Confirm your faith, your calling, your election into God's chosen people. And then he says, if you do these things. Now, we don't know what these things are because this is the end. We sort of jumped ahead here. But he says, if you do these things, it sounds like a pretty big deal. Peter even says that your eternity could hang in the balance whether you do these things. That sounds like a pretty big deal to me. And if you do these things, you won't stumble. And in this case, that very likely means actually fall away from your faith, not like a little sin, a little trip. No, he says that you won't fall away from your faith and you will be welcomed into an eternity with Jesus Christ. So whatever these things are, they sound pretty important. We're going to spend the next two weeks talking about these things. So to find out, we're going to go back to the beginning, back to verse 3. So now I, I should give you a warning here. This is some theologically thick stuff we're talking like Thanos bicep thick okay this is just thick rich stuff but that's okay you're looking pretty smart today I can see some of you have had your brain juice if you haven't go get a little double shot outside get that brain going um, because because it is it's theologically rich stuff but don't worry come along with me I'll walk you through it and we'll take it verse by verse phrase by phrase And I I promise you by the end of this, this will make sense. So let's start. We're going to start by reading the whole thing. It's just two verses, but they're (laughs) thick verses. So and then I'll go through and break it apart. So here we go. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, now, if that sounded a little difficult, a little confusing, that's okay. It could be worse. If we were all ancient Greek and we were reading this in in the original Greek language, All of that is one single sentence. They loved run-on sentences. The translators were helpful enough to break it into two sentences, but still, think of it as one long sentence, and it's like this. It has one core statement followed by four clauses that each referred back to something in the previous clause. And so that's how we're going to walk through it here. Let's start with the very first. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. That is Peter's thesis statement. That's his core idea. That's the big kahuna right there. Everything else in this supports that statement. God's divine power is the source and a godly life is the goal. And his meaning with this one is pretty clear. That God has given Christians all we need to become spiritually mature. That God has given Christians all we need to become spiritually mature. See, then he uses the next four clauses to elaborate and explain that statement. So if you're really tired and you want to fall asleep right now, memorize that thing, then go ahead and fall asleep. Okay. No, don't do that. No, go ahead. Okay. So, but now, each clause, we take one new clause, and it'll explain the one above it. So how do we gain access to this divine power of God's power? Well, here's the first clause. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You can't access the divine power unless you know God. Now, when when the Bible talks about knowing God, it's much more than simply intellectual knowledge. That's part of it, but it's so much more. It's knowledge that comes out of relationship. It's knowledge that comes out of intimacy, of closeness. It's a knowing someone. Now, I know about the Marvel Universe, probably more than a man my age should, okay? but i never personally met Stan Lee. I know about Marvel, but I don't know Stan Lee. And it can be like, about, like that with God as well. I've known people who know about God. I was in seminary with people who knew about God, but they didn't know God personally. They didn't know God personally. As a friend, they knew God as an idea, but not as a friend. And that's where Peter starts with this importance of knowing God personally. You have to know about God, but you also have to know God. And what do you have to know about Him? You can start with His glory and his goodness. And these are two words. words. Glory is a reference to God's majestic rule, his greatness, his otherness. Do you know that about God? Do you experience that humility when you come into his presence that he, of his glory and how unglorious we can be? And then goodness, this is a word more about moral excellence. His moral excellence his glory and his goodness. So now let's go to the next clause. Through these, God's glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So through God's glory and goodness, because of God's glory and goodness, comes God's great and precious promises. So Peter is likely referring back to the promises that are full. The Old Testament is full of God's great and precious promises. And these promises talk about an era, of blessing and salvation that come with the promised Messiah. And we now know that promised Messiah was Jesus Christ. And we are now living in that era of great and precious promises. That era of blessing and salvation that the Old Testament writers and Old Testament uh, uh, Jews only knew about, but they never experienced. You see, great glory plus great goodness equals great promises. And that's what God is all about. So now what happens with all of these promises? What difference do these promises make? Well, let's go to the next clause. So that through them, the promises... You may participate in the divine nature. Think about it. Christians, because of Jesus Christ, Christians can now experience the fulfillment of thousands of years of promises. And we have the remarkable privilege of having a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. That is something that no person prior to Jesus could say. But we can. But this verse says that it's more than just closeness. It's more than just intimacy. We can actually participate in the divine nature. Now what does that mean? That sounds really mystical. And the truth is it actually is. That's that's not common Bible language. In fact, that phrase only appears one other time in the entire Bible. But it was a very common phrase in Greek and Hellenistic philosophy to talk about kind of becoming one with the divine. And so here's Peter using this idea that would be completely foreign to anyone prior to Jesus, that we can actually participate in God's divine nature. Now we don't become gods, that's not what it's saying, but we can participate. And so so scholars are really confused about what this might mean, but there's one thing that is pretty clear, because there is one thing that is clear in scripture about how Christians can participate in God's divine nature, and that's through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was a promise that Jesus made. When he was, when before he died and before he ascended, in the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, which means you have have Godness in the Holy Spirit that resides in you, and you can participate in God's nature through the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not us; we don't become more godlike or even God. But the Holy Spirit, a member of the Trinity that has always been and will forever be, resides inside you. And because of him, you can participate in God's nature. His holiness, his love, his compassion, his forgiveness. All of that is inside you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we actually live out this God nature, this divine nature through the Holy Spirit that's inside us? Well, we come to the last clause. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, notice the past tense. Having escaped. In Christ, We have already been freed from the power of sin. Now, we don't always live like it. We often live like we are still in chains. But in Christ, we have been freed from the power of sin. You are not a slave to your evil desires. You are not a victim of the corruption of this world because you are a new creation in Christ. And and the more knowledge of God's glory and his goodness that we have, the more clearly we see that. And the more we experience his promises, the more we have the ability to defeat our evil desires. But you have to know God. You have to understand his promises. You have to believe his promises. And that is the power to escape the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. So you see how it all works together here? It all connects. So now we're going to read it through one more time. All the way through. Now that you have a little better picture of how the ideas flow. So here we go. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is God's part of our spiritual growth. So I have to return back to the original question. Are you growing spiritually? Are you closer to Christ? Are you more like Christ now than you were a year ago? Two years ago? Five years ago? Are you growing closer to God, more intimate? Is your relationship, is your friendship with God stronger? Or have you settled with being content with simply being Christian and going to church when you can and trying not to do bad stuff? Are you content with that? Is that your definition of Christian? So if you're not, if you're not maturing in, the fa- in your faith, there's a reason for it. Now, there are lots of reasons, but this verse gives us four really good ones. And my bet is if you're not growing in your faith, if you are feeling stuck or are you feeling even just ambivalent about growing in your faith, chances are it can be traced back to one of these four things. So first, you don't know God personally. That knowledge of God, you don't know God personally. Whether you're new to church You're coming back to church after years or you've been attending church your whole life. That doesn't mean you know God personally. And that might be part of the problem. Even if you call yourself a Christian, the more important question to ask is, do you know God personally? And if you don't, now is the time to say, I want to change how I think about God. I want to change my understanding of him and my definition of Christian. I want to know God personally. There's another idea. Another reason why why you might not be growing spiritually. You don't know or believe God's promises. God's really good and precious promises. You might not know them, Or you might not believe them. If the Bible isn't a big part of your life, you're not going to know God's promises. If you come to church maybe whenever you can and whenever you're feeling like it on a Sunday morning, you're not going to hear about God's promises. And how can you believe in something you don't know? Do you believe that they are good? Do you believe that they are precious? And the Bible is full of God's promises. Another reason might be that you're not living under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're sitting next to the divine nature, but you're not participating in the divine nature. As I mentioned earlier, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit residing inside you, but it doesn't mean you're following Him. It doesn't mean that you have allowed him into all of your life. Maybe you have him locked into one little room in your house because you don't want to let him into the other rooms, into your work room, into your family room, into your party room, into your sin room. Maybe you have the Holy Spirit locked away into your Sunday room. And on Sunday, that's when we can talk about the Holy Spirit. But the rest of the week, I just got to do my thing. You're not living under the direction, you're not living with a full relationship of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's why you're not growing spiritually. Lastly, there's another reason you're not resisting your evil desires, you're just giving in. You're not even putting up a fight. You're just giving in to sin or you're making excuses or you're minimizing it or you're not calling it sin when you know it is and it's ripping you up inside. You're just not resisting your evil desires. You're living in the corruption of the world instead of out of the corruption of the world. So what is it for you? What is it that's keeping you from growing spiritually? See, I want you to imagine for a moment. I want you to imagine River Life collectively five years from now. Imagine every one of you more like Christ. With every Sunday, with every growth class, with every Bible study, we collectively become more loving. More gracious, more forgiving, more faithful, more powerful, more intimate with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Imagine us as a church five years from now. Imagine how river life would be transformed. Now I want you to picture something else. Imagine us five years from now. You're still in church, I'm still preaching but we're kind of the same. We're dealing with the same sins. You're still hurting people in the same ways. You're still stuck and addicted in the same patterns of behavior. And we're the same. We're just doing church. Now, I know what future I want for River Life. And I hope you know what future you want for River Life. And I want to call us collectively together as one into the mission of bringing hope, healing, and growth to second and third gen Wall. Join me in prayer. God, you call us to grow. And everything around us, everything in this world tells us not to. Everything in our hearts tells us to just stay the same, take it easy, be content. God, we confess that today. Lord, I confess that in my old life, my laziness, my contentment, my desire to just want to keep going and be fine where I'm at. Or, and I stand before our congregation here and I, I confess that to you for them. And I pray, transform us, Lord. Pull us out of our stuckness. Call us with your love, with your grace, with your precious promises, and with your divine nature. Call us into something greater than who we are today. We thank you that you have given us everything we need to grow spiritual. So thank you, Lord, for that. You give good gifts. Pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.